Welcome to the Music Ed Forward podcast, transforming students, teachers, and communities through music education. My name is Nissa Brown with Music Ed Forward, musicedforward.com. You can follow Music Ed Forward on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on Stitcher, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. This podcast is the third in a series called Moving Music Education Forward. In this series, we'll meet educators who are working to move music education forward through their research, leadership, writings, and teachings. While our guests' work may differ in content, their visions, perspectives, and voices provide a growing edge for our profession as a whole and offer us multiple ways of moving music education forward. Welcome to episode 16 of the Music Ed Forward podcast, Thug Life, The Hate You Give Little Instruments, F's Education, part two of an interview with Jasmine Fripp. If you listened to last week's podcast, which I highly recommend you do, you had the chance to hear Jasmine and I chat, not so much in an interview fashion, but more like a conversation. This podcast, part two of the first, is very similar in nature. In case you haven't met Jasmine, and I know many of you in the Music Ed Forward podcast world have, Charleston, South Carolina native Jasmine Fripp is the Director of Choral Activities and General Music at Kip Nashville Collegiate High School and the founder of The Passionate Black Educator. With six years of teaching experience in public and charter schools, she's built award-winning choral programs, provided Black and brown kids opportunities to perform as opening acts for Grammy award-winning artists, and helped them complete college and professional auditions. She's also created culturally responsive general music curricula that celebrate Black and Latinx culture. Ms. Fripp's experience within education has allowed her to assist music, fine arts, and professional educators with creating classroom curricula that structures that promote effective teaching. She also assists collegiate and professional education programs across the country to diversify their music curriculum and provide anti-racism training. Ms. Fripp's passion for providing Black and Brown students with a quality, holistic education through music and empowering educators are the sole reasons for creating The Passionate Black Educator. The Passionate Black Educator aims to advocate for Black and Brown students through the provision of opportunities to learn and advance through music, fine arts, and education. PBE, or Passionate Black Educator, also empowers current and future educators of all cultural backgrounds and career fields to create classroom environments where the structure allows for effective learning. All cultures are celebrated within the curriculum, and solidarity is mandatory. Ms. Fripp holds a Bachelor's of Music Education with a concentration in choral music from Winthrop University. She is a current graduate student at Belmont University under the legacy of Dr. Jeffrey Ames. The show notes to today's podcast has the links to Jasmine's bio and her work, which can be found at musicedforward.com slash podcast slash 16. With thanks once again to Jasmine for her passion and love. To quote Jasmine, be loving or be nothing at all. Thank you, Ms. Jasmine. As always, Jasmine, it is an honor to speak with you. 
We join this conversation with a few minutes of recap from last week's episode, talking about the ways in which we give hate to our students, whether we know it or not, by perpetuating racist practices, including, but not limited to, the continued inclusion of minstrel songs in our music curriculum. And then we'll take it from there. If we're not willing to make the adjustments needed, if we're so stuck on, oh my gosh, minstrel songs are such good songs. But you clean know the history behind it. If you know that there are certain pieces of literature that can be hurtful, if you know that there are certain productions or the way you set up productions or solos that can be hurtful, that is a form of hate and you are passing that through your kids and they know it, they feel it. They may say it to your face, but when it comes time for them to talk with their friends on Facebook, and they're like, you remember how we had to do this? And it was the, like, they're, they're going to talk about it. Right. I, I know because we talk about it. <laughs> and yep. it's our own friends. So um, there's so many ways for teachers to pass on that hate, um, whether it's macro, micro, covert, overt. Like, there's so many ways of doing it. And we just got to be in tune to it and always be willing to question things and reflect upon it. What crossed my mind when you were saying that, and I'm I'm thinking of those of us who have been steeped in that very white, very Eurocentric conservatory-based training as music educators, that this one of the conversations that I hear is, you know, we we have, you know, that th- there's a small box of what makes for good music. And that that is again largely Eurocentric tradition, right? So in and of itself, <laughs> that's not helpful and is racist. I mean, in its at its core, if we think we only value one particular kind of music, but then the catch twenty two is that we we in our I, I feel like white educators who are steeped in that and not yet able to see outside that box, look at it and say, well, but what else would I do? Like, the, 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 what would I do if I don't do that? And I think the piece that a lot of white educators miss is there's a world of music out there that's worth studying that isn't that. And so we, it's almost like we trap ourselves in this cycle of this is what we value. And we get in a catch 22 about, well, there's a whole world of music out there, but we don't know anything about it. And so that makes us want to stay in that box again. And it gets to be this vicious cycle for mostly for our students, but also for us in terms of our ability to um, to reach our students and to empower all of our students to be musicians. Um, and I just, I, it, it's a catch 22 that I see. And I just want to say to people, there's a world of music out there. But like you said, we have to research it. We, those of us who were ste- who were steeped in that Eurocentric tradition, we have to get out get outside of that box. Um, you're absolutely right. Diamonds are a value, but because I may not have ac- access to it, <clears throat> I may not see the value in it. Mm-hmm. in this present moment for me, I think that's the same thing with a lot of white music educators. Um, the music outside of what I'm good at mm. may be valuable, but because I'm not good at it and I don't have access to it, yes. it may not be valuable for me in this moment. 
And I think that comes back full circle to what you were saying earlier about um, what you call it, deflection. Deflection. Yep. Um, I, I think a lot of white educators have this thing instead of like owning up to the fact that, hey, I'm just not well versed in this. I, I understand that it may be valuable, but because I'm not well versed in it, I'm not going to see the value in it. Therefore, I'm going to deflect and say, no, this is the only kind of music that, blah, and I'm just like, just say you don't know, baby. It's okay. Yeah. Yes. You can go learn something, though. Yeah. Because I'm pretty, there's people like myself and plenty of other people who are right. teach it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> give me a call. Uh, like, I remember, I don't know if you saw this, but do you remember that post on Facebook where it was like the two rabbits and a carrot? And like one had like a huge carrot down underneath. And then it's like one had um, it, that same carrot had like tiny leaves. So they didn't really see like how much <sighs> there was. And I then, didn't see it, but yes. Yeah, they had that same analogy for um, for pop music and classical music. And I thought that was the most elitist post I've ever seen. Mm. Like pop devaluing music outside of classical music. Classical music has a lot of great things, but um, the hate you give little instruments. Right. <laughs> it's education. So when you've taught people for so long that classical is classical music, Western art music, correct term, is the end all be all to the point where like they don't even know their own cultural music to the point like that that's that's not right it's not right everybody's music has value and how do i know it has value because when it's time for black history month when it's time for lunar new year when it's time for um latinx history month music educators all across the globe are scrambling right and they don't know how to teach it Mm -hmm. that is ultimately like why a lot of white educators don't really teach music outside of the classical realm because they don't know how to, because it's been taught that like, this is, this is the creme de la creme. And if you can get your students to sing this correctly, then you are, you have a top-notch choir. If you teach them how to sight read it correctly, you have a top-notch choir. Um, so once again, the hate you give little instruments that Fs everybody. It, it F's our education because music education, music educators are going without the knowledge of how to teach this cultural music. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to approach it. They don't even know where to begin looking for it. Then on top of that, they choose a bunch of cultural music written by white folks and it don't even sound right. And I'm just like, it gets to be layers. It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of different layers, but like there's so much more value than just diversifying. Like, you know how many times I've been put in situations where I had to read the music or I had to like listen to it, learn it and go perform it. Mm. Like there's value in it all. Cultural music teaches you all of that. You can still sight read cultural music. Mm-hmm. I had um, my uh, Beverly Laney. She's a goat. She was my student teacher advisor when I was doing student teaching. I, I had the, the honor, the privilege of working with her. She's the reason why I teach the way I teach now. But 
She taught those doggone kids how to read an Indian piece using their system. I was like, holy crap. Wow. That it, I just sat back and I was like, one day, I promise you just one day. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh. And I didn't even know that like Indian people had their own system for Hmm. reading music. Yes. Naive, oblivious person that I was. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. Everyone reads Solfege, whether it's fixed or movable. Yes. If you read fixed, though, you're just a beast of a sight reader, by the way. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I had no idea that I existed. A uh, couple years ago, I read some, uh, or I was rehearsing Nathaniel Dett's um, Chariot Jubilee, 30 pages long, like an hour or so before rehearsal, mm. got a call saying, um, yeah, so we're out of alto twos. I was singing tenor because we were short on tenors, but then for some odd reason, the tenors grew. And then we found out that our alto two section was no longer mm-hmm. in an alto two. So I was like, all right, cool. I read that piece. I sight read that piece. Yeah. I sight read it. And then same group, uh, we ended up doing uh, background vocals for um, Stars Go Dim, a contemporary Christian group. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. Um, they were releasing new music. So keep in mind, there was nothing on YouTube. There was no sheet music. So we came together for like an hour and a half or two. We learned the music. They said, all right, we're recording the live video tomorrow. We said, okay. We came in the next day, worked for eight hours, killed it. Yeah. And keep in mind, you cannot, like, performance is not for rehearsing. hmm so you had to know the music or you had to get up out of there. Like they weren't playing. You needed to know that music. So the things that cultural music can offer you, you can still sight read. You can still learn music theory. You, you need that ear training because mm-hmm. there are going to be certain situations where you're just going to have to learn it by ear. There's no music for this, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. here's yeah. some music but you'll learn it faster if you just listen to it mm-hmm. like long time ago when I was about to go into the army for um, music like I had I completed my army band audition I just needed to lose the weight and that was oh. different. Yeah. I didn't know you were I didn't know that was part of your uh part of your background that you were almost an army musician. yeah yeah I, I wanted a break from teaching mm-hmm. um so three years in I ended up taking the break, but I was looking to join the army because I wanted to travel. I wanted to do different things, but I did not want to be on the front line. So I was like, can I just be a part of the band or something? (laughs) So, yeah. So like army band auditions, you have 24 hours. They give you a heap of music and you have to learn it. Give you the sheet music for all of it. But they're like, you can learn it however you want. Mm -hmm. Some of the songs I read, some of the songs I listened to. And knocked my audition out the ballpark. Yep. It was was fairly easy, but it's important for you to be able to do both. And with you learning about, learning how to properly perform cultural music, because African music traditionally is taught orally and orally. Mm -hmm. Other, I'm not sure about other cultures, but some of those pieces, you can read it. Some of those pieces you got to listen to, but, Majority of the time, um, I'm pretty sure someone correct me if I'm wrong. You're going to be listening to it. 
a lot of times because a lot of those songs work songs, songs that they would just sing working. Some of the songs they would sing cooking. Some of those songs are part of rituals mm-hmm. and traditions, like, like oral uh, tradition songs that yeah. are passed by ear. Sure. Right. So sure. just put value in cultural music and it it opens so many more doors for everybody. It opens doors for teachers to be able to teach it correctly and with confidence. It opens doors to exposing exposing kids to different cultures. It opens doors to um, exposing kids to different music theory methods outside of Western tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, even down to Black music theory. Like, there, there's so many doors that it can open and it's so freeing to everybody and it offers last but not least i promise <laughs> job, good. It, job opportunities mm-hmm. job opportunities because a lot of these teachers they get out here and they're just like i want my program to look like this feel like this blah blah, blah. but a lot of those programs especially like well a lot of programs that are well established those teachers aren't going anywhere they aren't going anywhere. And then a lot of white teachers specifically, and some black teachers are not even going to hold you. They, they shy away or they refuse to go into urban districts because they heard X, Y, and Z. Their preconceived notion is X, Y, and Z. They don't think they can be successful um, teaching in these settings. And that's false. I've taught in predominantly black and brown schools my entire career. And every single one of those programs have found success in sight reading to some extent or completely they've participated in um, events through NAFME or ACDA mm-hmm. gone on to state festival I've had folks get into national choir in order for you to get a national choir first you got to do all state then you got to audition for that and even for you to get an all state if you want a good score you have to be able to sight read mm-hmm. so um that piece alone, just like job opportunities, th- these are things that music educators are missing out on. And this is how it affects education because we have a lack of quality music educators in specific areas, mm-hmm. specific districts, because people shy away from them because mm-hmm. how to teach those kids. Right. So. I was, I was struck by something you said, you know, what we were talking about, um, that the Eurocentric tradition being uh, being a small box, and a thread that I I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I really want to hear your response on this. But a thread that I'm making sense of for myself by what you're saying is that we have to just lose we have to lose the small box in all areas, right? You're not talking about teaching one form of notation. You're talking about understanding notation and that different notational systems exist. And while students may or may not be fluent in all of them, they understand that there's not one right way to notate because one right way to notate or read is a small box again, right? You're talking about, you're talking about promoting that cultural diversity and cultural competence by understanding that there are different systems of notation, different systems of, of, Aural, I don't want to say ear training because it's not even considered that. It's just culturally part of the way music is done. 
there are lots of right ways to do things. And it's anytime we keep the box small, whether we're talking about the repertoire that we choose, the um, diversity of cultures, styles, or genres that we choose, the type of notation that we choose, anytime we have those boxes, we're, we're not meeting that goal of, uh, of teaching diversely, of being inclusive, of being anti-racist educators. That's, I don't know, I would, like, I would like your feedback, but that's kind of some of the sense I was making from what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, stoop kids afraid to leave the stoop. I don't know if like you ever watched Hey Arnold back in the day. Uh, no, I didn't. Oh uh, man, there's this one kid named Stoop Kid and like he was known because he was afraid to leave his stoop. Um, oh. Make fun of him for it. <laughs> and like Arnold, basically the episode is centered around like Arnold saying like, why are you so afraid to leave stoop? your stoop and he's basically like there's a whole world out there and I'm just pretty much afraid of it oh that's what it boiled down to and Arnold's like but there's so many different stoops out there in the world and he's showing him like pyramids with stairs on them and whatnot and like all different types of stoops from around I gotta watch that episode later Ah, hey Arnold was so good um but yeah it's like when music educators are afraid to leave their stoop mm that's what happens like there's a whole set of stoops around the block even yeah that like the block yes yeah just around the block (laughs) like black folks be right down the street for some of these (laughs) (laughs) and y'all come see us like i promise you you step into our programs like that's a whole new world but like there's so many things you can just learn by just going around the block but you got to be willing to leave the stoop first yeah there's so many things that you can learn um, outside of the classical realm of things. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to step out into the stoops of gospel, to the stoops of mm-hmm. traditional Indian classical music, to the stoops of traditional Asian music. Mm-hmm. And at, traditional, mm-hmm. tradition, none of this watered down stuff that y'all be notating in the, in the music and what traditional. Mm-hmm. So, just leave the stoop every once in a while or just go on a vacation. Yeah. Oh, wait. Go on a vacation I, for I a can't minute. wait till we can all travel again. Oh. The thing um, I, keep, I keep coming back to for myself too, and I'm speaking as a white music teacher right now, as I continue to engage and, and will continue to engage in um, learning about racism and anti-racist work, it's uncomfortable for me. And nothing compared to the discomfort that folks of color experience. And I don't mean to say that, but I'm talking to my, to, to, to the white music educators in the audience. It's uncomfortable. When we talk about learning styles of music that are outside of our realm, that can be uncomfortable. It could also be really inspiring and really interesting, but I think we get we, we think that we're supposed to be experts. And when we get stuck in this box of, if I'm not an expert, you can, you alluded to this earlier, which is what made me think of it. If we're not an expert at something, we somehow are not a fill in the blank, good music educator. And so I think we wrestle with our egos and our identities and our, our power structures and our sense of self when we start doing these things. But 
we have to. And and the the impact, there's so much possibility by doing that. And I think that people bump up against those uncomfortable emotions, uh, white folks specifically, white music educators bump up against those emotions and then like bounce back. They, they, they you know, pull back into the box instead of saying, yeah, this is uncomfortable or yeah, I don't know this. And then getting more curious instead of retracting. And I think that that's really the only my my perspective, I think that's the only way forward. We can't move a predominantly um, white field, music educators, music education forward without white educators being willing to be uncomfortable and just get in and do the work. Yeah. Uh, if you're comfortable, you're not growing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're, if you're not, if you're comfortable, you're just not growing. So yeah. for uncomfortable embrace it it's hard it it's super duper hard even for me as a black woman like stepping out creating this business centered around right now I'm working with predominantly white folks yeah and it's so uncomfortable for me to put myself out there knowing that there's a big possibility that my voice may not be received because I'm a black woman because of that like I can have umpteenth degrees umpteenth years of experience and it still may not be respected mm-hmm. that like you have to be uncomfortable and one thing that I um stated in my letter a while back and that I stated in my e-download hip-hop's daughter raised in a coral world um Kids do not look at you any differently or less of an expert if you bring people in. Yes. Call reinforcements when you don't know something. Yeah. It's it's not even like kids respect you so much more when you straight up say, I don't know, mm. but I'm willing to find the answer. And then creating a whole new experience for students. When you do bring in other people for them to work with, because they need to learn how to respect, um, how do I say this? They need to learn how to respect expert voices, mm. period. Yep. So, like, taking yourself out of the picture for a minute, getting somebody to come in and work with your students. I have one colleague every single year. She's white. She's over a predominantly Black um, Core program. Those kids love her. I love her. I need to reach out to her because we need to go have drinks really soon. Um, but uh, she, every year, Black History Month, she brings in somebody to work with them on gospel music because that's not her forte. It's not her forte. Mm-hmm. It's back. She learns. And the kids love the experience. They don't think that she's less of an educator because of it. Mm-hmm. Think of it as, oh, this is this is tradition. This is something that we do every single year. And she performs all types of music all year round. But specifically for Black History Month, they've already created that tradition of performing um, gospel music. So they bring in different gospel artists for the kids to work with. It's the same thing as you go into um, national conferences when to get professional development. That's all it is. Right. And Except like they're coming to you instead of you flying out to them. Like mm-hmm. that's what it is. 
So don't be afraid to call in those reinforcements when you don't know. Call in those expert voices. And what a gift really to our students. Like you said, we, you know, we, we need students to learn to respect experts. What an opportunity for them to have the opportunity to learn from so many diverse experts. You are modeling for them how you want them to behave outside of your classroom. And that is to be curious, to be open-minded, to listen. I'd never thought about it quite from that perspective before. I think that's really, really powerful because one of the things when I do curriculum development with folks is I, I say to them, what is it you want your kids to do after they leave you? What do you want them to do after they graduate or if you're elementary students, as you send them up into middle school, what do you want them to do without you? Because if you don't teach them to do that independently in your classroom or guide them towards independence, they're not going to have those skills. And you just put a, a piece, a new piece in my mind about what that means and the power of bringing in diverse voices. Yeah, um, that kind of leads me to another point. I actually think it's like one of the next questions. Go for it, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so like ways that we can work towards um, diversifying, taking the hate out of um, taking the hate out of our music programs and like providing those opportunities for both music educators and students to grow mm-hmm. in solidarity and just anti-racist practices. One thing that people fail to realize, and this is something that like I've always known was there, but I never really paid attention to. One, allowing student leadership Mm. in your programs and to discourse. Mm. When you allow um, student leaders, um, no matter who they are, no matter what background they come from, once again, it's, well, not even once again, it's training up expert voices. Yes. It's allowing um, students to practice and like, by you offering that opportunity for them to get up and lead warmups, to get up and lead a sectional, to get up and lead just something simple as stretches. Mm. This with my kids all the time. I have, I typically, well, not this year, but in my programs, I had section leaders. I have choir masters. Um, I even have um, folks who like, we have choir president, Miss and Mr. Choir, um, the whole nine, like giving those students the opportunity to lead to some capacity. And even if it's not music, like they're not leading at a musical capacity, like being a secretary or something, like creating arrangements. I've had one student who's super good at creating arrangements, so I let him do the arranging. Nice. Um, and keep in mind, I work with predominantly black and brown students. So allowing your students to have these leadership roles within your choir and like letting go, let just let go. Your kids got this. If you've been training them upright and you've been working with them on sight reading and ear training and you guide them through like what a warm-up should look like, those kids will listen. Mm. And the students that they're teaching, the, the student leaders who are teaching students, those students will listen. Mm-hmm. Like, use that time as an opportunity to um, really 
develop a next generation of leaders. Mm, yes. Um, I've had some students who continue singing. Um, I have one student, she, I'm looking at the picture now. It's a black and white picture that I took of her. Like it was one day I just could not get to the class in time to start them because I was dealing with another student issue, like trying to calm her down. The girl ran my entire rehearsal. Entire rehearsal. Wow. Sight, like I had everything already like on the board, sheets together and everything. And they already like, I had already taught them like how to work the piano, where's the keys and whatnot. And she ran warmups. She did sectionals. She went through all of the music with the kids, sight reading and everything. And she'd be like, hey, tenders, I think y'all are missing um, this interval right here. And I took a picture of it. Like, she she's not a music educator, but that same young lady, she went viral on Facebook. And I'll put it in the I'm a choir director group. Okay. Um, she was um, at the protest around the time everything with George Floyd happened. Mm-hmm. And she, instead of getting up and speaking to the crowd, emotional, mm-hmm. she sang um, Amazing Grace. Ooh. She sang Amazing Grace. Wow. Um, same young lady, she went viral on TikTok. It was like her second TikTok video. Um, she created a rap. Um, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm black and I'm proud. Like, same young lady. So even if you're not training up music educators, you're still giving your kids a voice mm. when you put them in those leadership roles. It may not they may not be making a change the same way that you are or the way that you would imagine mm-hmm. it, but that's okay because the work that they're doing still has value to it mm. and it's reaching a different set of people through music. Yeah. So that's the importance of student leadership and discourse. For those of you who may not understand what I, I'm talking about when I say mm-hmm. this, a lot, it's basically like Socratic seminar you allowing students to um, have conversations amongst themselves Mm. and propose their own questions in order for them to come up with their own conclusions, perspectives, and whatnot. Mm. And this requires you to decenter yourself. Yeah. Right. So what that would look like in the choral world, have like giving just a, little bit of background about a piece. For instance, I just had some discourse or I um, facilitated discourse amongst my students. We were um, learning Ain't No Mountain High Enough. A lot of the students um, didn't really know too much background information um, about it, but I told them about Nick and, um, not Nick Sefford, Ashford and Simpson. There we go. Ashford and Simpson, the songwriters behind it. Then I talked to them about Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye. Mm. Um, and they looked at the lyrics of the song. Um, so they looked at the lyrics. Then I talked to them about Marvin Gaye and Tammy. Um, and the kids didn't notice, but like Tammy went through a lot. Mm. Tammy experienced a lot. She was in a lot of abusive relationships. Um, 
And I want to say that there may be drugs involved. I'm not going to put words in them, but she, she went through a lot nonetheless. Um, and Marvin was just her friend, a platonic friend. So they say mm-hmm. left for interpretation. Mm-hmm. And after uh, Tammy ended up dying at a very young age, she had a very rare brain tumor. And like that left Marvin in, in shambled in pieces. And like he, he ended up on drugs afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked to my students about that and I let them talk to each other about, okay, or I didn't even talk to them about it. I had them read an article about it. They had some questions that they had to answer. And like, basically, what do you think was going through Tammy and Marvin's mind when they were singing that song? Were they singing it to each other? What were they thinking about? Mm. Happened to what they were thinking about. And I also wanted them to think about what does the song mean to you? Is there somebody... Is there somebody close to you in your life, whether it's platonic or you're in a relationship with or a family member that you can sing the song to them, have that conversation and taking my voice out of it, taking my opinions out of it, because it's important for them to have that conversation. So that's what discourse can look like in your classroom. There's plenty of other examples that you can go with as well. Um, But the reason why. Some of y'all are like, well, what does that have to do with anti-racism? So often within our educational system, everything is student or is teacher-centered. Right. And it's pretty much what I say goes, this is law. Mm. My information is right, the end, period. Yep. And most Um, important. (laughs) Yes. And most important. And our curriculum a lot of times doesn't allow room for kids to think critically, come up with their own perspectives, learn perspectives from other people, and to come to their own conclusion. Um, And the fact that we're saying, here are the facts, and then we move on to the next unit, as opposed to here are the facts. Now let's apply this to real life and connect this to your life. Mm. Um, That reason not just in music education that's the reason why a lot of diversity you don't see a lot of diversity in a lot of fields Mm. um that in like the perspectives of black brown and indigenous and asian folks aren't as respected as some other theories like i was just talking to my life coach about this the other day he's awesome by the way um and uh, there was there was this article about uh, anti-racism in math. Like at the surface, it's just like, okay, how can math possibly have racism in it? And I offered him this perspective of, well, one, a lot of times in math, like how often do we go around saying, I didn't use a darn thing that I learned in pre-cal. I didn't use a darn thing in algebra. None of that. Just like, Like math is very, okay, here are the facts. Let's move on to the next unit as opposed to here are the facts and here 
is how we can apply this to real life. Right. And like, even if like you were to take real life scenarios or allow the kids to engage in discourse and math about certain things um, like stats or like projecting like what will happen in the future, like black kids use statistics all the time, Mm. especially black boys. When it comes to sports, (laughs) the first thing they go to is stats. Lonzo Ball only scored this much, blah, 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 but I project that he, like, they, math. <laughs> they, there's, that is math. That is hard down math. <laughs> but, like, just cultural things, things that kids are interested in, like, we don't apply that. And coming back to music education, like, you have to allow students to, like, have those conversations amongst each other, because if you're just having them sing or play songs, And you never teach them the meaning behind it, which is how you find out, like, this requires the teacher to do research. This is how they find out that a lot of these songs ain't it. (laughs) So, like, if you're keeping that away from your kids, what you're doing is, one, decentering their voice, two, decentering their perspective, three, once again, centering your voice, centering your perspective, saying what you feel is the law, like, like that takes away the diversity mm-hmm. in your classroom, which falls into other classrooms like college classrooms where we birth music educators. So right. yeah, it's 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 important to have that discourse piece and it's important to have that student leadership because this is how we're gonna begin building up future educators or just advocates for music, you know, the mm-hmm. people that we want in our corner when it comes time to sponsors because they have a love for music because they were a part of music programs that promoted love and mm. solidarity and allowed them to grow as a person, even if they didn't go into music or, you know, those kids in our choirs, this happens often. They go into education and then they want to go into administration and <laughs> they were in choir so they have like this love for fine arts already. So you already have someone rooting for you on your, in like, your corner. Yep. Yes. Like you want this, like no matter how, where the snowball goes, whether it goes down this hill or down, you want it to be a good snowball. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You want it to be a good snowball. You don't want to be one that just like knocks everyone out. It's just like, oh, it's a polite snowball. Just going this way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you just you just want to prepare for the future, for the future, yes. um, whether it's inside or outside of our classroom, because at the end of the day, it affects us, period. Yes. It, it affects us. I love all the connections that you've made beyond the things that we might name as music educators sometimes as the first thing that we teach, which has to do with music, right? You're a music educator. So what you teach, people often go to the specifics of music and not that those aren't important. Of course they are, but you've couched it in, in the, in the context of students' lives in the context of our school communities in the context of our broader communities in the context of students' futures in the context of our more broad community or social future. And I think sometimes we don't see that as music educators, and therefore we don't see the potential of what we could do to positively mm-hmm. address those outcomes. And I, I just feel like you've illuminated uh, so many of, of those things that 
we may not go to as often as music educators when our minds are in the day-to-day, minute-to-minute of instruction. I'm just so grateful for that. Thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. I just I just thought about this. Like once, I, I always tell this story and people probably tell, we know he's your like choral Beyonce. But, That's all good. <laughs> do it. Uh, Dr. Jeffrey Redding went, he was one, the first black man that I ever saw like in front of a choir. Mm. Like we had a student teacher back in the day who was black, but he wasn't like a teacher teacher. Right. Um, But he was the first black person I ever saw in front of a choir. And like, he was phenomenal. The reason why I ended up, like the reason why he was just so different to me is because like teachers before they would say, okay, here's what the song's about. Let's move forward. But man, the way he connected our lives to that piece and allowed, like, this is the first time that we were able to vocalize our opinion, our perspective on what this piece means to us. Oh, wow. I was in tears because it's like for so long, and I've had some great music educators, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. White, I've had some white music educators that have changed my life, but this particular incident was the turning point to one say, I see myself because I see a black person doing the same mm. thing. I can do that. Mm. Two, I have a voice and it's not just about like the music theory or the RO skills or um, here's the word for word translation for the piece. It's like, okay, now how do you connect to it? Mm. Now, it was scary when he asked that at first. I was like, connect? What you mean? Right. <laughs> connect. Yeah. He was like, what does this piece, like, how can you connect to it? Here's what the story is about, but you're not old and you're not withering. And this is a song about two old people enjoying their last moments together. How are you connecting with it? Mm-hmm. What does this look like to you? I'm just like, oh, well, let me sit down and think about this one. Yeah. Like that discourse and that representation changed my life. Mm. Literally. Like I was going to go into psychology or. I'm yeah. so glad you went into music education. <laughs> me too. It's, y'all all right. Y'all all right. <laughs> Oh, Jasmine, I feel like we have talked, we had a few more questions on our list and I feel like we've kind of talked through and around them. Do you, is there anything else that you would like to say that you feel like hasn't come through in the more organic nature of our conversation? Anything you want to add or say, anything we didn't get to in terms of just life in general or the the topic, the, the thug life topic of the podcast? The hate you give little instruments F's education. Um, I just encourage music educators to question everything and to really do your research. Mm -hmm. It's like the more and more I'm hearing these conversations. And to me, this has always been a thing, like research the background of a song. Mm -hmm. My teacher's done it before Dr. Redding. But like after Dr. Redding, I'm like, okay, now I got to like really dig deep into this to figure out, okay, how can I relate this back to my, or like have my students connect to it? But 
one, y'all got to start doing y'all's research. Mm. And two, if you research it and there's anything questionable, reach out, ask questions. And me personally, I get, I've gotten to a point in my life where there are way too many songs for me to be stuck on this one. Yes. So let it go. Let it go. <laughs> like, <laughs> At this point, I'm not even asking questions. If I got to ask one question, like, how will this make my student? No. There's a world of music out there. That question, that means no. Yeah. What y'all won't have me do is going viral on Coral World, Music Educator World, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and all that great stuff for some foolishness I didn't have my kids doing it too. Like, I don't want my... um, Y'all don't like some folks don't believe it, but I don't ever want my students to come back and feel like I hated them. Ooh. I don't I don't ever want that to happen now. You're not gonna be able to capture all your babies like it's cool. You always have the best intentions, but I don't ever want my students to come back and be like, why did my teacher have me performing this piece? Mm. Why did my teacher have me doing this? Why did my teacher and like I said, you're not gonna be perfect. You can, of course, apologize for it. And the best apology is change behavior. Um, But I don't ever want my students to come back and feel like what I had them doing showed any type of hate. Um, And I just, I, I think what gets lost a lot is that white folks specifically can apply to anybody so used to a checklist. Oh, I don't have this type of music. I don't have this. I don't have that. Someone, um, Heidi Nelson, she told me that one day. The white people are used to a checklist. I'm like, you dog one skippy. Y'all are used to a checklist. (laughs) I was like, Heidi, I'm going to have to borrow that one. She's like, it's okay. Okay, girl. (laughs) But white folks are so used to a checklist. Like, okay, I don't have this. I don't have this. I've done this. I'm not racist. No, baby. Mm. This, this work and some, like, I send out presentations all the time for people and one that they shy away from is the one where they have, like, I'm giving them material for them to self-reflect on. Yes. Like, what are you doing internally to the work? Because as long as you still have that malice in your heart and you still feel like you're doing enough so that on the surface you don't come off as racist. Mm. Like, gotta go way deeper than that. It you got you've got to do deeper work. Mm. Like you can sit here and like do all this surface level stuff, but until you get proactive and do a deep cleanse, mm. mm-mm. It's, you're not doing anything. So I just encourage um, music educators to really research the music that they're having the kids sing. Find different ways to diversify your program. Diversifying is more than just you um, diversifying your music. You need to diversify your composers as well. Diversify the people in your choir as much as possible. Um, make sure you're reaching out or ensembles. I'm I'm such a choir teacher. Um, <laughs> All right, you yeah. get to be you. <laughs> yeah. Um, allow those moments for um discourse. Allow you allow your students to become student leaders, no matter what their cultural background is. Um, 
really allow those kids to have that conversation amongst themselves within their program. Um, and most importantly, make sure that you're out here doing the internal work, not just the external work. Mm. There's two levels to this internal work. Yeah. So that's, I, that's the point I'm trying to give across because if you're not doing these things, it ultimately screams hate. And the hate you give little instruments is going to continue to F our music education programs. Full circle. So yeah. make sure you're doing the work internally and externally. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jasmine. We're, we're going to put your contact info and all the resources that you've mentioned, the Hip Hop's Daughter resource, um, your... your um, Facebook page. I'm going to let you talk about that in just a second. So we'll put all of it in the program notes, but tell us how folks can continue to learn from you and with you. Um, you're doing so many great things these days. Oh yeah. It's, it's been a blast and folks have been so supportive. So definitely follow me on Facebook. You can add me as friend Jasmine Fripp. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm like one of the only ones of those on Facebook, <laughs> uh, but definitely follow the passionate black educator on Facebook. Um, passionate Black Educator on uh, Instagram, TikTok, Jasmine Fripp on LinkedIn. Um, if you are a teacher and you're willing to learn um, and just grow with a community of teachers, or music educators who are looking for ways to decenter their voices um, and um, diversify their programs and create that solidarity within their programs. Join my Facebook group, Solidarity Superheroes. It's an like it is an amazing community. It I is. This. <laughs> I appreciate it. I started this uh the beginning of February. We're up to like 600 something members, which is phenomenal to me because awesome. I was going to get the 500 before the first month. Um, and we did that in like two and a half weeks. I was like, yes. Yeah. Um, so it's just been such a positive and amazing community. Um, a couple of things that I have coming up. If you missed um, this event that I hosted called Music and Munchies, I do have the replay available, y'all. It was so much fun. Like, just to give people a glimpse of what it is, it's basically like an interactive cooking class that I host. Um, we make a cultural dish. Um, and while we're making the dish, we're listening to music in the background and I'm giving you the history behind the music that we're listening to the dish that we're cooking. And I provided music educators with so many resources, um, during and after that particular event. So it was the black history month edition. We made jollof, Nigerian jollof, which by default, because ancestry DNA told me so, I have to say that Nigerian jollof is the best jollof. Um, so yeah, uh, we made Nigerian jollof and we made um, Kelewele from Ghana. Uh, and y'all, it was so much fun. We started in Nene's kitchen um, and or Nini's kitchen in Africa. And we traveled to Europe, went through the diaspora, went to the Caribbean, learned about Bob Marley um, and reggae music. And then we head over to um, America, where we explored jazz, we explored um, Motown, we explored um, old soul music, soul lines, we explored 
um, hip hop and not just like your old school hip hop. I don't think we did any old school hip hop. We did a bunch of new school stuff. Like we even did Soldier Boy. Like Soldier Boy. Like, because it's important for you to learn about the newer generation so that you can better relate to your kids. Sure. So um, it, it was a blast. So we have that replay available um, for you to purchase. And I have not announced this, but I'm going to announce it here. I have two professional developments coming up. Ooh. First professional development is free. It's going to be free. Um, and it's basically preparing music educators to interview for jobs. Mm. So it's called interviewing the job. So I'm offering that phone is just blowing up right now. <laughs> that, um, free to everybody. So whether you're new in music or like a future music educator about to go into the field and you need to like interview for jobs or you're looking to transition um, to another place, just things to help you prepare for your job, prepare nice. for you. Um, and I take you from like the moment you decide, okay, it's time for me to search for jobs to like what you do afterwards. Awesome. Um, it's very creative, innovative, like be there. And then two, I'm hosting another music and munchies, um, but we're going to be learning how to make shrimp and grits, low country style. And um, we're actually going to explore Southern hip hop. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yes. Oh, it's going to be lit. It's <laughs> Your music it and munchies got rave reviews, rave reviews. So yes. So everybody should definitely check that out. We'll put all of those links also in the, um, in the show notes as well, so that folks can, can get to that right away. Um, Absolutely. Join that Solidarity Superheroes group, everyone. It is a phenomenal group of people with a phenomenal leader. Thank you, Miss Jasmine. I appreciate it. Also, book me. Send me an email. J, uh, jfripp, F-R-I-P-P dot P-B-E at gmail.com. Um, if you'd like to book me for any events, whether it's to come talk to your students about anti-racist practices, whether on a collegiate level or creating um, or team building activities to create that solidarity within your classroom, and I've actually, since Music and Munchies, a couple of people have hired me to do cooking demonstrations for their classroom. So, yes, I'm super excited about that. So if you want me to do a cooking demonstration and in an interactive cooking class with your students, I'm here for it. Amazing. Amazing. You are a woman of an incredible number of talents. So it's been really awesome. Thank you so much for being with us today, Jasmine. It's been such an honor to talk with you. <laughs> Till next time. Till next time. I know, right? I didn't want this conversation to end. And the good news is, it doesn't have to. Both you and I can keep learning from Jasmine. And here's how. Head to musicedforward.com slash podcast slash 16. Again, musicedforward.com slash podcast slash 16. For all the links to follow Jasmine's page for the Passionate Black Educator, to join her group, which is called Solidarity Superheroes, to grab the replay of Music and Munchies, and to download her free resource, Hip Hop's Daughter Raised in a Coral World. Next week, we'll feature some practical tips on how to structure curriculum in ways that center student voice, offer choice, 
inspire inquiry, and intentionally teach for transfer or real life situations far beyond the rhythm and the notes. I'll be sharing ways in which curriculum design can help us take steps towards equity and inclusion in our music classrooms, no matter where in the world we happen to teach. Once again, with sincere gratitude to Jasmine. We'll see you next week.